Good morning, everyone. My name's Peter. I'm uh, one of the pastors here on staff. I'm another Peter. If that confused you a little bit earlier, there's two Peters on staff and a Tom. And um, we're in that order of rank. And I won't tell you which Peter's above the other, but... um, (laughs) I want to start this morning by something that you've all been waiting for for a long time since January. I started in January, and uh, that is that I made a mistake. And so I just need to clear the air this morning that I made a mistake in my sermon last week and don't want you walking away with some wrong information. Uh, Last week I told the story of John Wycliffe, and I got his death wrong. And so I want to apologise to John first and foremost. But uh, I said that John... Wycliffe was burnt at the stake. That is not true. Uh, That's what happened to John Huss. It's not what I had written, but that's what I said. And uh, in fact, he died um, and then later was condemned. And so they dug his his body up from the grave. I don't know who got that job, lucky person. And uh, then they burnt him. So just wanted to clear that up and then burnt his writings as well. So I don't want somebody walking away telling that story and then getting corrected like I did. And... uh, (laughs) Which, which was very helpful, and uh, I actually did have that written down. I just, you know, I'd been crying, it had been a long week, and uh, so that's where we ended up. So I wanted to clear the air first. Uh, last week was a crazy week. This week was an even crazier week for me. Um, I want to take you through just one of my days uh, because I got a little surprise. It wasn't a good surprise necessarily. Friday was full of all sorts of surprises that I didn't know were coming, and caught me off guard, and even if you're a spontaneous person, no one likes to be caught off guard in these things. And so let me take you a little bit through Friday. Uh, I, I was um, planning to get some work done at my place. I'd ripped down ceilings earlier in the week, and we were putting ceilings back up uh, on Friday with some of the people here. And um, uh, I'd ordered these pieces of plasterboard that were going up on the ceiling. And I talked to Bunnings all week, going back and forth, trying to get the right plasterboard for the ceilings. And they told me, yes, we'll be there 6 a.m. We're going to deliver it Friday morning. And so I set the alarm for 6. I'd just walk out of my pyjamas. It's only Bunnings. And uh, 6 rolls around, the alarm goes off, and nobody's there. And so I said, well, I'll just wait in bed. And uh, when I hear the truck, I'll get out of bed and go meet them downstairs. Well, 6.30 rolls around no truck. 6.45, no truck. I ring up um, Bunnings and I was like, am I getting delivery today? And they said, yes, we've already sent it to you. And I said, are you sure you sent it to me? Because nobody's here. There's nothing here. And um, anyway, long story short, they have the wrong address on file. And so they turn up late. When they turn up late, they've got the wrong things, not what I ordered. Um, And so I had to send them back and try and get the right pieces of plasterboard. So that was the beginning of the day. Uh, thankfully, we got the ceilings up and that all went fine, and uh, thanks to those who helped. And then uh, that took all day, and I, uh, I had to work on my sermon, this sermon, that night. And so I had a shower, got something to eat, went downstairs, and because we've been working on ceilings and it's very dusty, we'd put up black plastic across the doorway that separates the dining and the living room, try to keep the dust out. My wife's pregnant. Um, trying to you know, save her lungs, and uh, so I put up some black plastic, but because there were still some holes in the roof where the cornice hasn't been put up, there's a draft that blows through from the ceiling through the house at the moment, and it blows this black plastic back and forth, back and forth, and I'm sitting there writing 
for this sermon and this noise of the black plastic just keeps going back and forth, back and forth, and it's really starting to annoy me. And so I put some boxes in front of the black plastic, right, so the, the air can't push through and it's not moving the black plastic anymore. I thought that was a genius idea until my wife walked through the black plastic, hit the boxes, tripped over, she's 36 weeks pregnant, and lands on her knee, she thinks, but isn't sure if she lands on her belly. And so because we want to just make sure baby's okay, we ring the hospital and they say, yeah, you should come in and just, we need to check that. And so 8.30 at night, we roll into the base hospital. They put her on this machine and they do a test that goes for four hours. And so my sermon writing evening kind of turned into this hospital visit. Uh, Everything's fine. Thank, Thank the Lord. Thank you for those who were praying for us. And it was just this day of one thing after the next, getting caught off guard, not seeing it coming, getting frustrated, being worried. Um, And that was my Friday, getting home at 1am after being in the hospital. And uh, it was just one of those days full of twists and turns that I wish if somebody had told me the day before, hey, this is what's going to happen or expect this to go on... uh, I think Friday would have been a lot easier to handle or at least would have been a lot more comforting knowing, hey, you're not going to get the delivery on time. And when they turn up, um, they're not going to have the right stuff and so you'll have to send it back. And then you'll work on the ceilings all day and then this is going to happen with your wife and you'll go to hospital and you'll do the scan and all those sorts of things. That would have just been so much easier to handle with the things that caught me off guard. And as Christians... We get thrown things all the time that we're not sure about it, but there are some things that Scripture has led us in on that we can expect to happen to us. And there's things that we can expect to happen if we follow Jesus. And Scripture is really clear about some of the things that we can expect to happen if we follow Christ. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about some of the things that you can expect to happen if you follow Jesus. If you were a Christian, if you believed in Christ, you've placed your trust in Him... Paul this morning in his letter to Timothy is going to tell Timothy, this is what you can expect if you follow Jesus, if you hold to my words about the gospel. So last week, we kicked off this new series on 2 Timothy. It's this amazing letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the first century, writes from a Roman prison. And he writes it to Timothy, this young man that he had mentored in the faith, that they had done ministry together. And then he left him in Ephesus to take leadership in the church there. And uh, Paul went off and continued to do his missionary work. And then there was a persecution that came across all of Christianity in uh, in the early first century under a, um, a Roman emperor named Nero. And Paul gets arrested and he's in prison for being the leader or one of the major leaders of Christianity. And he is being persecuted and he writes this letter to Timothy who seems to be backing away, who's very timid um, to continue on in the faith, to follow in Paul's footsteps because he sees this is what's happened to the guy that I looked up to, the guy that I kind of took all my information from about who Jesus was and the gospel and the church and all those sorts of things. And so Paul writes this letter to him. And it's an amazing letter that we have. And we have a lot that we can learn from it. And so last week, we looked at what is Timothy 
And our first and foremost responsibility in the church, and you remember that we talked about it, is to preach and protect the gospel according to the apostles' testimony. And so today we're going to look at what is that going to cost us? Okay, What is that going to cost us? How are we to do it? And why we want to be faithful to this ministry? What's it going to cost us? How are we going to do it? And why we want to be faithful to this ministry? So we're looking at uh, 12 verses today, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through to 18. And uh, I'll just tell you this morning that it's a large chunk of Scripture that we're not going to be able to go verse by verse through exactly. We're going to do it a little bit differently this morning where I want to um, tackle some of the ideas and truths in the um, passage but do them in some different orders um, rather than just go all the way through because of time. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, I would just have that out in front of you. We're going to jump around a little bit, but it will all be within verses 6 through to 18. Now, I told you from the start that Christianity is going to cost you, um, that uh, it will cost you something, and I'm not going to be one of those salesmen that tells you all the... uh, all the products um, and, and how good it is and all the advantages and all you want to know is the price and they never tell you the price. Um, so let me tell you the price from the very beginning. Um, the, the price is that, and we're going to see that you're going to suffer. Um, Paul's going to be very clear about this, that if you choose to follow Jesus and uh, be on mission for the gospel, that you're going to suffer. He says it very clearly. And so we're going to see this morning that uh, you're going to suffer for the gospel by the power of God, using the gifts He has given you because you were called, equipped, and trusted, and will be rewarded on that day. That's what we're going to see in the passage this morning. And so suffering is just all through the book of Second Timothy. It's all through uh, the New Testament. And we can see even in this passage that Paul himself suffered. Paul uh, suffered greatly within his life, within his ministry. The fact that he's writing this letter from a prison tells you all you need to know. But in case you weren't sure, um, Paul, he has said in many of his letters um, in the New Testament, we talked a little bit about this last week, just how much he suffered. And uh, I said this last week, but if you weren't here, let me just remind you of what Paul talks about in his suffering. He says that he endured beatings and mockings, imprisonments, shipwrecks. He was lost at sea. He was pelted with stones. He suffered from hunger and thirst. He was constantly in danger, always being attacked from Jews, Gentiles, criminals in towns and cities. Paul suffered, right? In verse 12... Of our passage, he says, he talks about his role that he is playing within uh, the mission. And then he says, which is why I suffer as I do. See, Paul suffered for the gospel. He, and uh, so, so he wasn't excluded from suffering. Jesus wasn't excluded from suffering it says there that uh, Jesus suffered. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. What's the testimony about our Lord? 
The testimony is that Jesus is God. He came in a physical body. He came down to earth into a dark world and he told this dark world that he was the light and that he was the only way that sins could be forgiven. And he claimed that he was God. He claimed that he was the Messiah and he claimed that he was a king. And so the Jews did not like this. And so they went to the Romans and they said to the Romans, this guy's claiming to be a king and we have no king but Caesar. And so they got the Romans to kill him. And Jesus suffered. And he was flogged within an inch of his life. He was mocked. He was spat on. And then they nailed him to a cross, a Roman cross, this instrument designed for torture until death. And as he hung there, the wrath of God was poured out for sin on all of the sins of all humanity. Justice for all the wrong things that you and I have done. And then he died. Jesus suffered. Paul suffered. And then we have this other example in the passage towards the end from verse 15. We have this character introduced. Um, and his name is Onesiphorus. And it says that he sought Paul while he was in prison, prison to refresh him. And it seems he did this regularly. This was a regular occurrence. Onesiphorus suffered by the way that he went out to, to Paul, risked his life to find him and refresh him. And this is interesting because we don't actually know how he refreshed him. All we know is that he went out of his way to serve Paul. And it was more of a, a service than a physical suffering that we see with Paul and Jesus. But it cost him something, whether it be time or money or his reputation. And you have to remember that Christians are being persecuted and the leader is in, in, in jail, the most common or well-known uh, leader of the church at that time was Paul and Peter. And, and here's Paul in prison being persecuted. And this guy goes out of his way to find him, to seek him earnestly and refresh him. And we also have the negative example in this section as well, because Onesiphorus is the positive, right? And then there's two guys that Paul mentions that didn't do this, that they actually turned away from Paul. And uh, they're mentioned there, Phagellus and Hermogenes. And at some stage, those two had the option to go to Paul, to refresh him, to stand by him, to embrace the suffering. And they decided this is going to cost too much. It's, going to to it's just going to cost too much. And so they didn't do that. And normally when we fail to do this or when we are wanting to back away from the gospel, it's because we have somehow figured out that this is going to cost us too much. Whatever that is, it's going to cost us too much. Now this suffering that they went through was not just general suffering that happens in a fallen world. This was, although that... It takes place. This was, this was not that it was just a general sickness that we've all experienced because we live in a fallen world. It was not that there was weeds in the garden when there shouldn't have been weeds. It wasn't that they had headaches because they hadn't been drinking water. It wasn't just death of a relative. This was suffering with a purpose. And we see that 
in the passage. It's a specific, gospel-orientated, with a purpose, suffering that they went through because they were furthering the mission of the church. Look at what it says, the purpose for Jesus' suffering in verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That was part of the purpose of why Jesus suffered. See, he died, that death that we talked about earlier, and then three days later he was resurrected, confirming that he was the perfect, sinless sacrifice that God had accepted. That death was not the end. For those who believed in him. And everything that he said and did was true. Including that you could be forgiven for your sin. You could be reconnected with your heavenly father. You could be given Jesus' righteousness. You could be given eternal life. And death, the thing that scares all of us in some capacity. Or has always haunted humanity. That everyone has tried to avoid and extend their life. Jesus conquered it. And the ultimate weapon of the devil was no longer. It was no longer the finality for the believer. There's this old hymn in the 18th century that this guy wrote. that has got a really hard name to pronounce, so I won't say it. And he writes, it's just one line out of this hymn. It says, Jesus lives and death is now my entrance into glory. That's what Jesus' suffering did. It was with a purpose. It wasn't just suffering for the sake of suffering. And that's the same with Paul. Look at the end of verse 12, or the start of verse 12 there. Actually, just jump to 11. He says, For which I was talking about the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Start of verse 12. Which is why I suffer as I do. Paul had. A greater purpose going on here. A reason. And he calls Timothy as well to suffer with him. He's not calling him to suffer for no reason. He's not just saying, Timothy, I just want you to have a suffering, sucky life for the sake of plain asceticism where you just avoid all pleasure or indulgence just for the sake of it. There's got to be a greater purpose to the suffering. He's calling him to suffer for something. He's calling him to suffer for the gospel. Look at the, verse, the end of verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. There is purpose for it. Suffer for the gospel. By the power of God. This is a tall task that you cannot do on your own. You are not going to be able to accomplish this by your own strength. And so Paul tells us that you're going to do this by the power of God. He says in verse 7 that God gave us a, a spirit not of fear but of power and love. And self-control. This word power here really really means it's a capability. We're capable of doing this because God has given us a spirit of capability. 
This could be the Holy Spirit that he's referring to. It could actually just be spirit with a, a lowercase s. doesn't really matter because it's God who gives it to us. And we're compelled to share the gospel because that resides in all of us. The voice inside each one of us that tells us that we should share the gospel with friends or those who we come across. That is that power of God inside of us. And we just have to trust that when we open our mouth and even though we don't know what to say or how to say it and we're going to butcher the way that we say it, that God somehow will use that in his power through us to help people see the truth in some capacity. And you may never see the results of that. You may never see how God uses that. But there is that inside of you from God. Or the other option is the spirit of fear. And that is when we back down, we walk away and we, cl- we keep our lips closed. And we walk away thinking, why didn't I say something? That's not the spirit that... God has given you or I. You see, and the hard part about sharing the gospel with people is that you don't just have to share the good news, you have to share the bad news because if you don't share the bad news, the good news makes no sense. And that's why it's hard. It's hard to tell people that they are sinners, that they're guilty, that they stand before a holy God condemned at this stage in their life. It's offensive. People don't, don't like to be told that unless the Spirit of God is at work in their life, revealing to them that this is the truth and that there is a way out. And it's only when we understand that that we really understand and see the beauty of the gospel in which Jesus has done. And sharing our faith in a free country like we live in isn't going to probably physically cost you anything. You're not going to get locked up at this stage anyway. But it will mean that you will have to give your time. You'll have to give your care to someone, your attention to somebody. You may cost you your ego, your reputation. And you will suffer in some way. If, if you've never suffered for your faith, Just keep sharing the gospel. It will happen in some way, in some capacity. It might be small, it might be big. And Paul says, this is where it's landed me. I'm in prison. And Timothy, suffer with me. Keep going. Keep sharing. By the power of God, you can do this. Verse 8, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. It's not just suffering that Paul encourages Timothy in this verse. It's also service with the gifts that he's been given. Gifts is something that each one of us have been given for service to God. Look at the end of verse 10 and 11. Paul talking about the gospel, he says, Through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. 
preacher here has this idea that he, he's a herald, he's a proclaimer in a, in a public sphere. And we see that through, throughout Paul's life. He was an apostle, he was, he was a witness to Jesus himself, and he was a teacher. He was given the gifting to be able to unpack the truth about who God was, who Jesus was, the gospel, the church and its mission. And he did this faithfully over his life. There was Paul's giftings. This was what God had given him and he had gone about and used it faithfully. And he suffered for it. Anisiphorus was similar. It doesn't say explicitly what his gifting is, but when we read about what he did, his gifting was the gift of mercy. I said last week that mercy is the kindness or concern expressed for someone in need. And that's exactly what Anisiphorus does for Paul. He seeks him out, he's not ashamed of him, and he refreshes him. And now Paul commands Timothy to use the gifts that he's been given. Verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy had been given a gift to use in the church and he had been neglecting it. See, any person becomes less effective in the exercise of their abilities if he or she does not use them regularly. And Paul was concerned about it. Paul was concerned about Timothy that he had neglected it. So he tells him to fan the flame, fan into flame the gift of God. It's an interesting sort of metaphor image that he uses. General Booth, who uh, was the founder of the Salvation Army, once said, the tendency of fire is to go out. Right? If you've ever been camping or you've got a fire at home, what do you have to do? You have to keep feeding it. And then he said, watch the fire on the altar of your heart. So what have you been given? What has God gifted you in to use for the furtherment of the gospel? You see, every week around here, people use their gifts and talents and times and abilities to further the gospel. And it happens in some of the most simple tasks and then some of the most... Uh, if that's down this end and then there's some other things down this end that will take a lot of time and money and effort and energy. And God's given each one of you at least one gift or ability that you can use to further the gospel, to further the mission. The simple things around here, like people come and clean during the week. They mow lawns, they do maintenance on the place. All that so that we can have a space here that is clean and safe. So that we can gather as the church, that the body of Christ might gather together and that the word might be preached and God might be praised. That happens because people use their gifts, their abilities, their time, their talents to come and just do a simple but really important job. There's those of us who are in this place and they probably won't even hear this because they're teaching our kids right now. They're in the back rooms and they're downstairs and God's given them the ability to, to take a lesson and be able to teach that to young children in a way that they can understand. And so there's, there's those 
people who volunteer their time, but they have been gifted to be able to do that. And they invest in the younger generation and teach them about the scriptures and who God is so that they might understand that God loves these kids. And they do that on a weekly basis. And there's others who turn up on a Friday night who are investing into our youth at the moment and they're using their time and talents and gifts and abilities to spend time with the youth and play stupid games with the youth that they love and ask questions and answer questions and hang out with them and and share the gospel and tell them the truth and let them know that God loves them. And they just faithfully turn up on a Friday night, week after week, and invest in the youth, furthering the mission of the gospel. And then we've got community group leaders that open their homes and and, uh, put their hand up to care for and facilitate community groups around the church. And they realize that this This Christian life is difficult at times and there are things that life throws at you that are hard and that you should never walk alone in that. And the idea that the New Testament believer goes off on this this lone pilgrimage by himself is just wrong and that we do life together and that we're called to do that with one another. And so there's people who say, hey, I'll facilitate that group. And that goes on during the week. And then you heard this morning, there's a group of people who are about to get on a plane and they're going to go halfway across the world and they're going to join with another church and they're going to do gospel work in Nepal. And it costs them a lot of money and it's going to cost them a lot of time. And they're going to put forth their talents and their gifts and their abilities in in whatever capacity that looks like that God has equipped them for and they are going to further the gospel movement across the world. And all of us have a gift, but all of us have a responsibility to fan the flame, whatever that might look like for you. And that can be really simple things that people don't ever see, like cleaning, or it could be flying to the other side of the world to share the gospel and help the church. It really doesn't matter what it is, it's what has God given you, what is in front of you, what are the opportunities, how has he equipped you? And then you don't have to get any recognition for it, although we, we love what you do, because you don't do it for us, you do it for God. And he sees it, and he values it, and he notices, and he knows the way that you serve. And everything we do here at the church is connected to furthering the mission of God through the church to the world We call it restoring true humanity here, where we just believe that God is restoring the world to the way that it should through the gospel, through Jesus. And we think it's so important that everything we do here has to connect to that. And if if it doesn't connect to that in some way, then we should stop doing it. Because we're all busy, we've all got things that we can fill our time with. Each one of you's got a gift. Use it for the benefit of the church to further the gospel. Why do we use our gifts to further the gospel? Because we've been called and entrusted and will be rewarded on that day, the text says. On that day. Look at verse 8. Therefore... 
Do not be ashamed about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. There's a lot to unpack here. We're not going to be able to dissect everything. I wish we could, but we'd be here all day. Let me make just a couple of comments about this. Firstly, we have a holy calling. This is not just a calling to the same thing as other religions where you're trying to climb the ladder of good works. This is not the same calling as becoming a professional athlete because you're really good at a sport. This is a holy calling. It's, it's set apart. It's dedicated to God. It's unique. It's the calling that God has on the life of a Christian and it involves sacred work with eternal consequences. And what could be more important than being a part of the story of God as he moves through and establishes this eternal kingdom? I mean it, like seriously, what else could be more important than that? The lie that we are prone to believe is that there are things in our life that are more important or as important as what God has called us to do and be a part of with the gospel. And we can put weight on things that have no eternal significance. We can put more weight on those things than we can put on the things that will outlive our death. And we just do it all the time. We're just prone to head in that direction and worship Things that should never have our worship. Be it nice things that we want to accumulate, a new car, or bigger house. I mean, money is just, I mean, we talk about it quite a bit because it is just so seductive. It's just there. It's, it gets us so many things that we think will bring us joy and satisfaction. This one hurts me a bit. Sport, including golf. You know, I just, sometimes it's just easy to kind of make those things a priority and our weekends revolve around them and our bank accounts directed towards them. Now, none of these things are wrong in and of themselves. Korea, I mean, we, just, we are just prone to worship the job that we do and climb the ladder and we overwork at the neglect of things that have eternal significance. I'm not saying we can't have these things or do these things, but those are the things that God's given us that we can leverage for the kingdom. And so I just say to you, like, if you have the capacity to earn money, and some of us have that, I just don't. I wish I did, but I just have, you know, I cannot, I'm just not wired that way. I'm, I'm good at losing money um, on deals and things like that. So if you need to lose some money, come see me. But you know, if you have the capacity to earn money and God has gifted you in that, man, you should earn as much money as you can and then use it for the kingdom however you can. Like, just give it to the way, to, to the way that it will further the gospel the most. Like, God has given you that ability. Use it for the gospel. And, and if you think I'm trying to get money out of you, like, give it to another church if you think that's the case. Like, just use what God has given you for something that has eternal significance, that will outlive you in this life. 
This is a holy calling, and it's not according to works. He didn't call you because you're better than your unsaved friends or your pagan buddies. He didn't call you because you're smarter than others. It says he called you according to his purpose and grace. What is his purpose? Why did he call you before the ages, before the foundation of the world? Why did he do? What was his purpose? I don't know. I can't tell you. He hasn't told us exactly why he chose us before the foundation of the world. All I can tell you is that he has. And he saved you. And he wanted you in the family. And he's designated in his sovereignty that you would be born at this time, in this period of history, in this country, at this time. And that you would hear and know the gospel and you would believe it to be true and you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you would be gifted in certain ways that you might use those opportunities in front of you to preach and to protect the gospel and it will result in some capacity in you suffering. Maybe even to the point of death. To which we can say we have victory over because Christ has overcome it and given us immortality. To those who believe eternal life because he was resurrected, it is the proof that no matter what we suffer, no matter what we go through, even to the point of death, if it really went that far, if we, if we had to lay our life down and we did, we would know that is not the end. Christ has been resurrected. And you have a choice as to whether you are going to fan the flame which God has given you in this life and make it count towards something eternal or you're just going to slowly watch and let that flame burn out and turn into coal and turn into ash. The never further the mission that God's given you the gifts, capability, his spirit, and the opportunity. Paul says, I've entrusted something to him, verse 12. <clears throat> and he's convinced that God is able to guard it. What did Paul entrust to God that he was convinced that God would be able to guard it. It was his life. He said, God, here is my life. You have it. I entrust it to you. And I am convinced that you will do right with it. And then he tells Timothy in verse 14, by the power of Holy Spirit, you need to guard the treasure that's been entrusted to you, Timothy. What's the treasure that's been entrusted to Timothy? Well, look at verse 13. It comes just before. He says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ through the witness of the apostles' testimony and you are to guard it by preaching it and protecting it, to use your gifts, to herald it. And you should serve the church whatever that might mean, 
And you will suffer for it, even maybe up until the point of death. Because God has entrusted you with this gospel. And there will be a day, Timothy, where you want to hear those precious words, well done, good and faithful servants. God has entrusted us with the gospel. It is a responsibility. We have entrusted ourselves to him. And he takes care of our life. It will involve suffering and at some point death. And he has taken care of that as well. What's our sermon about? I said it at the beginning. Suffer for the gospel by the power of God, using the gifts he has given you because you've been called, equipped, entrusted, and will be rewarded on that day. Let me finish with this story. There was a man by the name of Patrick. He was born about 390 AD. We don't know exactly, but about 390 AD. He was born into a wealthy family. He came from money in Britain. And he received a Roman education. However, it was suddenly cut short as a raiding party from Ireland came over and captured him. And they took him back to Ireland where he was imprisoned and worked as a slave for six years between 405 to 411. And it was during this time, as he was a slave, that he really turned his life over to God. And it's where his faith really rose to the top. And in 411, he managed to escape. And he managed to escape to the point where he could get a boat all the way back to Britain. And he returned to Britain and he was reunited with his family. And while he was in Britain, he was catching up on the education that he had missed out on in those six years. And he felt that God had called him back to Ireland as a missionary. And fueled with doubts and fears, he returned to the country and the Celtic people that once held him captive. And he lived among them and he shared the gospel with them. And then he wrote this letter. And I want to read just a few of the words that he wrote. He said, I, Patrick, a sinner, very badly educated in Ireland, declare myself to be a bishop. What does he mean by that? He means, I'm a church planter, right? There's, there's, there's the, the language of the, of the church hierarchy at the time, basically saying, I'm starting a church here and I'm going to lead it. I'm declaring myself to be a bishop. I am quite certain that I receive from God that which I am. I live among barbarian tribes as an exile and refugee for the love of God. God himself is the witness that this is true. I am compelled by zeal for God and the truth of Christ has aroused me out of affection for my neighbors and children, for whom I have given up country and kinsfolk and my own life even unto death. I am a slave in Christ to an outlandish nation because of the unspeakable glory of eternal life, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord." He was later known as the Apostle to Ireland. You probably know him as St. Patrick. 
And now we remember him by dressing in green and drinking Guinness. How ridiculous. This man gave up his life for a murderous people because he was compelled by the love of God. Driven to share the gospel because of the unspeakable glory of eternal life, which he found in Jesus. What's it going to cost us? Suffering. There will be suffering. You will suffer. How are we to do it? Using our gifts and talents to further the gospel in the church. Why do we want to be faithful? Because you've been called, you've been equipped and entrusted with the most important work that will be rewarded in the kingdom that goes for eternity. Friends, don't be surprised when you follow Christ and you experience suffering for sharing the gospel. Don't be caught off guard. Jesus suffered. Paul suffered. He called Timothy to suffer. And we too are not exempt from what God is doing through the world by the power of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, none of us want to suffer. It's not appealing in of itself. But if it is for Jesus and the truth of the gospel that others may know and understand and grasp the, the immensity of your love and what you have done and that they might be saved forever from damnation, then we... And we're up for it. And we thank you for the scriptures that they tell us the truth, that they don't try to do any bait and switches or pull any punches. They let us know from the get-go that following Jesus will cost us. But you have taken care of eternity. And we can live into that promise. God, I pray you'd help us to be brave and courageous when opportunities come up to share the gospel with our friends and family and those who don't know you, even though it may cost us. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that your mission and your church would go forward, that Restoration Church here would be a church that preaches and protects the gospel no matter the cost. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.